My wife and daughter simply adore one YouTuber. Her name is Sydney Cummings Howdy Shell. Sydney Cummings, who got married to Mr. Howdy Shell, her business partner, and she is an entrepreneur. She is motivational, but mostly she is all about health and fitness and all about it in a just the most delightful, supportive way. And so my wife and, and youngest daughter just follow her. When I say religiously, I mean almost daily follow her workouts. And she's unfailingly cheerful and uplifting. And I've always wanted to talk to her, if nothing else, to try to win the approval of my wife and daughter, which I think I've done with this podcast episode, to which I can only say, thanks, Sydney. Sitting on the bathroom floor crying, thinking, how do I make this work? Like, why did I even do this? Why did I take this chance? This is In Her Words, a podcast from manlisting.com, featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words. In Her Words, a conversation worth hearing because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, and welcome to In Her Words, the podcast, talking to a powerful and resilient woman who's had a baby. She has clawed her way into success in entrepreneurship in YouTube, which is no easy feat with more than one and one half million subscribers. And she's one of the best cast local secrets, I think, in Charlotte. Sydney Cummings Howdy Shell. What fun talking to this woman. I am inspired. And whether you care about entrepreneurship, fitness, or motivation, she's there for all three. Thanks, Sydney. Where were you born? Charleston, West Virginia. Hospital or home? Hospital. For your mom, your number what of how many? I am one of two. And how much younger, brother or sister? Two years younger, brother. Okay. Is yeah. he around here? He actually passed a couple years ago, but uh, I'm he so was sorry. almost exactly two years younger than me. Oh, my word. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. Are your folks still in West Virginia? Yeah, whole family's still in West Virginia. Yeah? Yeah. How'd you get down here? Um, Dustin, my husband, was in the finance world. He graduated with an accounting degree and got a CPA, so he moved to Charlotte, which is the second biggest accounting or finance city in the U.S. at that time. So he came here. I stayed in Charleston after I finished my bachelor's degree at WU and was going back to school for nursing and kind of came down to like quote unquote visit and just kind of like fell in love with Charlotte and uh, thought I was going to have a personal training summer job here. And then as you could probably tell, I didn't go back to, <laughs> to nursing school and stayed here. <laughs> yeah. But there is a lot of science, human science involved in what you do. Yeah. I love that part of it and I think I have a child development degree and I was going to nursing school so it's a lot of bio studies, you know, biology and um, understanding the psyche behind people as well and how they think and knowing what their bodies do when they get tired so it's, I love that part. That's probably the most like passionate part that I have is how people think and how their bodies move. Did your mom tell you anything about her pregnancy, labor and delivery with you? Yes. Hers was pretty traumatic, I think, for me. It wasn't as seamless. I had to have, or I was born via emergency C-section. And um, it was, I guess they lost my heart rate, heartbeat or something at one point. And so it wasn't smooth at all. Mm. Mm. And did she tell you anything about the process that helped you when you became a mom? Um... I, I mean, she always just told me there's no love that you're going to understand, like a love that you will have with your kid. Uh, even like from a parent or from a daughter to a mom, I still can't even understand that until I had my own son. So it's, and I watched her live that, like her identity is mom, honestly. Like that's, if you could identify her in one way that she would be most proud, it would be mom. So having that example was everything for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What was your experience like? Mine was seamless. Um, 
I was very blessed with a great pregnancy. I know you mentioned you've done 200 podcast episodes. I was able to do 200 pregnant workouts. So we had a great pregnancy journey and um, he was actually born on his due date. So like he was on schedule, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I know it was ultimately uh, not anything I could have done differently, I don't think, but um, yeah, he was, I, my water broke in the parking lot here, leaving <laughs> the studio. We went to the hospital. Uh, that night had him the next morning and everything went well thankfully I'm very blessed to say that um, do you think there's some things you can do now about sort of quote-unquote pregnancy workouts are there some things you understand now that were tremendously helpful to you yeah I think just learning about the body like I mentioned is one of my biggest passions but I I didn't have the ab separation that a lot of women have, the diastasis recti, and I work with uh, a friend of mine who's a pelvic floor physical therapist, and postpartum I was able to get in contact with her and kind of go through that, like getting in touch with your body again, like figuring out how to move again and balance again, and going through the pregnancy. Um, I think it was super crucial to me to not let the mindset of, I'm pregnant, bring me down, but like help people understand that it's not gonna be easy and it's it's just like any other day where you don't wanna work out. You're gonna feel better when you do, although you might have to change some things around and take it a little easier. You don't have to ultimately like quit unless of course your doctor says that. So it, it gave me a whole new appreciation for my body and what it can do. Um, the, the process postpartum coming back was and is very humbling, just understanding everything's kind of start over again, but I think I helped myself a lot by just doing what I could throughout the pregnancy and, and understanding in some way I had one of the best pregnancies that I probably could have had, so I don't have the relatability of like a very hard struggle with nausea or um, you know severe cramps or pain or a really bad labor. So on that end, I can't necessarily relate as much, but uh, I saw what is possible for me, and I think just being able to understand we all have different experiences was pretty important. How close to the delivery did you work out? Uh, day of, actually. Oh, my word. Yeah. <laughs> I left here at 4 p.m. after filming and went to get in my car and my water broke. So it was, I never had a place in my pregnancy where it felt like painful or bad to work out. I always felt better moving, and so I just kind of stayed moving, and now my son doesn't stop moving. <laughs> <laughs> Were you afraid at all about the delivery? Yeah, that was the part I was most scared about, just the, the pain that everyone warned you about. But I will say, throughout the whole pregnancy, everyone always warns you about, like, this is going to be bad, or this is going to be hard, or it happened to me at least. Like, just wait until this, or wait until this. So there's, there's a lot of, like, fear-mongering around women that I think we... It comes from a place where we're trying to look out for each other, but it doesn't always help. Uh, so I've tried to talk about my pregnancy in a way that isn't so daunting to people, where they're not afraid of second trimester or third trimester or delivery or postpartum. Because we just, I think it comes from a place where we want to help, but it sometimes doesn't help. Um, and we get over... Uh, over analytical maybe with all the words that we hear too in pregnancy because we're super vulnerable and I was scared I think because a lot of people told me rough pregnancy stories or rough delivery stories so I, I knew I could handle physical pain I, I thought of it like a, a track meet or like a workout challenge like I just get through this thing and then he will be here but yeah I was scared why did you want to be a mom um I think to leave a legacy, um, to set up something that my son could be proud of and uh, show him all the things that I've learned, uh, not impinge on his you know, growth and his experience with life, but I feel like I've learned a lot in my life as well that I could help him with. Um, I've always wanted to have replicas of Dustin and I just like see how we can raise these kids and see how great we can do with what we've learned and um, I just want them to come into a family and an environment and a world where they see what's possible they see risk as something to engage in they see positivity they see love uh, but I've I've always just envisioned 
being a part of a, a big family. So I, I was just, I was always excited to have kids. How young were you when you just started running? I don't know, that's a good question. I, my mom said I was walking around one, but I don't know. I, she never really told me that. I think my brother was the more hyper one. Honestly. Oh really? Yeah. How early were you participating in school athletics, like middle school? I think it was uh, fourth grade. I played Betty basketball. Um, maybe I don't third know what grade. That is. It's just like younger kids league. Um, but I, I did cheerleading for like a couple years randomly before that, but didn't really like it that much. I was more into like sports with a ball, like basketball, volleyball, uh, and then track came into my life in middle school, uh, track and volleyball. But fourth grade was when I started basketball. What was your event in track? High jump. Oh my word. Yeah, <laughs> jumping backwards over a bar without the pole, that's pole vault. A lot of people confuse those too. <laughs> so the, um... The Fosbury flop yeah. is now the way most people do it, I right. guess. Right, yeah, yeah. Backwards instead of the Western roll, yeah. where people just kind of roll over sideways. It seems like it's setting you up to where you could be injured. That. Yeah, I mean, that's with everything, though, like sprinting, throwing, running, jumping. It's You don't really go into it um, like super aggressively at first. Like You definitely ease your way into jumping and landing safely off of your feet and then a little bit higher and then a little higher and we use rubber bands at practice so you're not just like smacking onto a pole when you first start to learn it uh, but yeah I think that's with any sport you're kind of exposed to injury all the time. How do people back home think of you? How do they remember you? Um, I think they just still just think of me as someone who's athletic <laughs> who is uh, just like carefree Sydney. Um, I was always known as like the little girl from Sissonville who, you know, went to college, went to the college from our hometown, West Virginia University is like the one you want to go to. Um, and if you're wrong, you go to Marshall. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I had a lot of friends go to Marshall. But I think it's, it's probably still, hopefully, the same as just um, like athletic Sydney, carefree, happy-go-lucky Sydney. Yeah. Did you get an athletic scholarship? Yeah, I got, well, I got the Promise Scholarship and then my athletics covered the rest of that. So I guess it was combo academic and athletic. And what is the Promise? It was GPA and grade eligibility from high school. Um, and it's a West Virginia specific scholarship. So I got that. Um, I think they tell you in the beginning of your 12th grade year that you got that and then they wanted to give me a full ride for athletics, but I already had that, so they just kind of covered the rest of it. When people think of professional athletes, they don't think of what you do, but you are, by definition, a professional athlete. Yeah, I guess I've never heard that, actually. I, no. I do still consider myself an athlete. I still feel like I'm a college athlete, even though I came to the realization that I'm at least 10, 15 years older than all. <laughs> college athletes that are currently performing but yeah I still consider myself an athlete and I think everyone to some degree is an athlete like we all jump we all walk run move like athletes we're all different degrees of that but I think everyone has the ability to move like an athlete how was your athletic career at, at it was West great Virginia? actually I was lucky to not have any like major injuries um, I think that's what a lot of people can just like derail from sports with it's an injury that they never come back from and it's just never the same. Um, I was lucky enough all four years of my college career to qualify for the first round of the NCAA championships so I was very excited about that. Um, I Track is tough though because it's either you go to the Olympics or you're kind of done. There's not really like a, an international basketball league and probably same with volleyball. Just kind of like it's hard to go past collegiate. It's very niche. So at the end of my career, I was kind of like lost my identity, I think. Like, who am I now that I'm not an athlete? But as far as performance goes and as far as college experience, I couldn't have asked for anything better. How were you able to stay in shape? I, when I graduated from college, like I said, there was a point where I was confused about who I was or how I was supposed to operate, I think. 
and no one was telling me to work out. No one expected me to show up at a gym. No one expected me to show up at a track. It was just like, here you go. Here's the world, and here's a YMCA. So I kind of replicated my strength and conditioning at the YMCA, which was not very common. Like, you see people sit on the machines or walk on the treadmill. You don't really see many people, like, slinging a barbell around or doing box jumps. So I just kept training like an athlete, I guess, because that's all I knew. I had never been instructed how to work out in a traditional, quote-unquote, gym setting, like how to use all these machines. So I just kept with my athletic training. Um, Definitely didn't do as much cardio as I had been made to do (laughs) in college, but I kept with that same athletic style of training. And when I started personal training a couple years after that, I kind of felt like I replicated that in my clients as well. It's a more functional approach instead of a bodybuilding approach. Yeah, I I know coaches who are very anti-running, mm-hmm. particularly at middle age and later. Oh yeah, because of the damage to knees, ankles, and hips. Yeah. Um, what is a good, healthy workout that could last someone into their eighties and nineties? I think it all depends on your history. You know, if you're trying to start something that you have never really done before and you don't have a tolerance for running or you haven't built up strength in your muscles to support your joints, then it makes sense, even in 40s, that you can't just jump into running. Um, But I think a a good balance of strength and conditioning is good for life. And conditioning doesn't have to be running. It can be elliptical, swimming, walking, uh, biking. You know, there are tons of low-impact cardio options that still get your heart rate up, still keep you healthy there. Um, same thing goes for, you know, women postpartum. They, they can't have, like, a ton of impact or pregnancy. It doesn't feel good to have a ton of impact. So aging and, and all of those circumstances, I think it's all supported by the strength that you have in your body to support your joints because your joints are ultimately surrounded by the muscles that are either strong or not necessarily as strong as they could be. So three times a week, I feel like some form of total body strength work and then keeping active for 30 minutes a day, five times a week, I think is a good protocol for anyone, no matter what age. Um, Forgive me, I don't do a whole bunch of background research. Oh yeah, that's okay. Uh, But it seems like I saw a film on your website or a YouTube film a while back that said that you were hit by a stray bullet. Yeah. I was. What a trip. Where was that? It was at our first studio in South End Charlotte. Uh, we, we were leaving the studio, coming out after filming one night, and it was late. We were still, Dustin and I were still working a ton to be able to support doing YouTube. So we filmed late. It was like 9 o'clock, which wasn't actually uncommon for us at that point. And we were walking down to our car, and I see four guys kind of walking up the street, and Dustin goes to the car and I'm right behind him and I hear one of them whisper don't move and I look behind me and there's one gun pointed at me and it was dark so I saw the silver gun in the street light and I turned around and told Dustin we have to get in the car they have guns in my head they were going to rob us like they wanted our backpacks so I didn't think run scream like you would see in the movies I just said get in the car like we got to throw our backpacks in there or else they're going to take our cameras our laptops or whatever And when we sat down in the car, as we were sitting, they started firing. They fired eight shots, and one of them went under Dustin's car, hit the ground, ricocheted back up, and then went through my foot. What did you feel? Nothing, actually. I didn't feel it happen. We got in the car. We were, both of us were screaming, driving out. I was probably crying, screaming, and Dustin called 911. And I was getting out of the floorboard when he did that because I was kind of ducking. And as I got out of the floorboard, I kind of just had wetness on my hand. And as one of the streetlights went over the car, I looked at my hand and it was red. And so I had to figure out, like, where is this blood coming from? So I didn't feel it until I got to the hospital, probably, I guess, from the adrenaline. And then it really hurt. And so they had to do a little bit of surgery? Yeah, they initially when they got there, it wouldn't stop bleeding, so they were trying to find the artery that it, the bullet had hit. So it just kind of felt like bombs exploding in my foot. It, they would hit a nerve every time they went for this artery, and it was just poof, poof, in my head. I was like, my foot's exploding right now. They couldn't get the bleeding to stop, 
and the bullet actually hit my heel bone and shattered that a little bit, so they had to go and, and cauterize the artery, put bone wax on the bone, and then stitch it all up. Mm. They do a good job? No, actually they left a lot of stuff in there that over the next two years my body just rejected, so it was like a two-year wound. Um, the bone wax on the bone, I guess, because it was an open wound, should have been taken out and it never was so it, my incision would close up and then a couple days later I would see the skin thinning and it would just open right back up and shoot it out like a bagel from a toaster and then just close back up and for two years that happened so I was just constantly wearing a band-aid or wrapping my foot and it it was definitely some mistake but you know, it, it's healed, so I'm glad now. And there wasn't any permanent damage. Like, I have a little bit of nerve damage on my foot, but nothing to where I can't move it, which I was really scared about. Do you still run? Not really. I never really was a runner. Uh, even after college, I just kind of went into, like, strength and high-intensity training for my cardio. Uh, but I never really have been into running. There are women like you who are competitive weightlifters or bodybuilders. Mm -hmm. Did you ever think about that? I didn't actually. And the only reason I didn't, not because I'm not competitive, but because I saw the damage that it did to people during and post competition uh, with their metabolisms, with like we talked about wanting to start a family. I saw a lot of hormonal issues that came from losing periods, losing, um, losing so much weight that you became anemic, developing eating disorders, I was really scared of that happening to me because I'm I'm naturally very thin. Like I, I was like the I was called the skinny girl from Sissonville um, for a long time. So I'm naturally pretty thin, and I was really scared I was going to develop some type of damage that wouldn't make starting a family easy or wouldn't um, have wouldn't move, let me move forward and have a good relationship with food, which I thought could then play onto my kids. So I. I respect people that do it an enormous amount because the dedication that it takes is just next level. But I never really thought about doing it. I, I definitely wanted to look that way for a little bit for photo shoots or something, but I was scared of the outcome, honestly. How do you, as a person who's on camera all the time, even if you feel like bleh, yeah, and even if you feel like I don't, look my best. Yeah. Um, how do you get over the sort of self-awareness of always having to be on, of always not just being in front of a class, but being in front of hundreds of thousands of people? That's probably the hardest part about it is just, especially for us, we do so many workouts. Like we don't have a, a program that we release per quarter. It's like daily we're filming. And at this point we're doing uh, three new filming workouts a week, but it's it's tough, especially for women, which I know we're talking about a lot. It's just like you have that time a month and you just feel blah. Like you feel like I'm not my best, I'm not my tightest. Postpartum was and is probably like the hardest part for me because up until that I had no problem just like feeling lean unless it was that time a month or unless you were just really tired, <laughs> didn't want to put on makeup, didn't want to do your hair, didn't want to get sweaty, just didn't want to like ramp up to coach people, um, didn't have that energy. But it's, I think it's tough, but I also think there's sort of a beauty in it with having people see realness and having people see Sydney's bloated because she's on her period or Sydney's postpartum and her skin's a little softer or Sydney's uh, breastfeeding or she's coming off of nursing and things are just different for her, her energy's different. I think that's helped people see it doesn't have to be perfect like you see in the magazines and on YouTube when I first started I was like how do I look like this after a workout you know I would I look like a mess after a workout and they're still like full glam so it's it's definitely tough because we all get in our own heads you know whatever we're doing uh, there's this human fear of judgment of failure that we all have to some degree and I think being uh, what Dustin calls like an eternal optimist or like extremely <laughs> positive all the time has helped me a lot in just my mental state of not judging myself so hard uh, and more so trying to represent the realness of being a woman who is working her hardest to be healthy and that's 
that goes for generations beyond me, especially like I have a niece, I have little cousins, I have a kid of my own now who I don't want to just see um, people that never look like they're bloated or people that always look perfect. I want them to see realness and I hope to be a part of that movement. Well, that's part of your brand mm -hmm. is that you can say, you know, I may not be feeling it today, but you also, you're incredibly encouraging. Thank you. Incredibly uplifting and positive and that kind of thing. Um, where does that come from? Because it comes through the screen. Hmm. Not everyone is camera ready. Even people who are very good as coaches in a gym or you know, a training session, they don't, they're not telegenic or they don't come through the camera like mm. you do. Um, where does that sense of encouragement come when you are just not feeling it? It comes from just a deeper place of extreme gratitude to be alive. I know that might sound cheesy, but watching my brother pass after an ATV accident, he laid in the hospital for two weeks and never regained consciousness. I was shot in the foot, bullets went right by Dustin. It's just an extreme gratitude for still being alive. And I don't, I don't mean to sound cheesy when I say that, but there's just so much that comes into our minds that is so, we make such a big deal. And I just want people to understand how good they can feel. I just want you to be grateful to be here. I don't want you to, to think that every day is gonna be perfect, but the fact that you're still here and you can take a risk for something that you really love. You can work really hard to feel better. You can do something that's scary. You can do something that's not traditional. You can overcome things. Um, I just don't think we understand sometimes the things that we let cloud our minds that stress us out, that make us anxious, that we think is gonna ruin our lives. It's just not that big of a deal. And you know, having a baby even, like these are the important things in life are not my muffins on my hips, right? Like my love muffins <laughs> or something like that. Like that's, it, we make so many things such a big deal because we're human and because we want to try and do our best. And we always know that people are looking at us or whatever it might be. But uh, also Dustin and I moved here from West Virginia. And when I started my personal training career, I was making probably negative $200 a week. I made no money. And he supported me for, he told me he would support me for a year. And I had to work my butt off and I had to do everything I could or else I go back to nursing school. So I've been at the place where I'm extremely broke and he's supporting both of us. So we were really struggling. And I remember, you know, sitting on the bathroom floor crying, thinking, how do I make this work? Like, why did I even do this? Why did I take this chance? It doesn't even make sense. But I knew there was this passion in me that wanted to help people. And maybe it was fitness, maybe it's just motivation, but I just wanted people to know how good they could feel. So I you know, would just try picking up a side hustle. I'd try doing exercise demonstration videos for a company. I just tried everything. So I've been at the bottom. I've been heartbroken. I've been shot. I've been broke. I've had a baby, which those all aren't necessarily in the same category. but. It just comes from being so, so grateful to be able to do something that I love and knowing that people have the potential to be incredibly happy. What was the turning point? Where did you get traction? Where did you first feel it catch and go from negative to positive cash flow? I think it was probably around 2020. Um, we, Dustin and I still worked like 80 to 100 hour jobs for the first year and a half of YouTube, almost probably two years of YouTube. Um, we had to rent a studio space to film the videos in, so we were paying, or we were working to support the rent. And when you get monetized by YouTube, you're accepted into the partner program. You still don't make a lot of money for a very long time. Like definitely not enough to support even a studio rent. Uh, not to mention like two people, an apartment, car payments. You know, you just don't make that much money. So it was probably when I remember seeing comments from people in like year two that I didn't recognize. I was like, okay, I think we're, we're on to something here. And we promised each other, you know, sweat equity. We don't have a ton of money to back this. We don't have funders. We don't have investors. We don't have like um, these trust funds or anything. We just have 
a credit card and our willingness to work until we fall asleep and wake up and do it again. And it was probably the second year of YouTube um, partner program, which would have been three years after we started YouTube that I felt like, okay, I can pay my car payment now and not have to worry about, are we gonna make apartment and car payment this month? And it's, a lot of people think you're on YouTube, you're automatically a millionaire, and it's just nowhere close. And we have the unfortunate end of uh, being sort of like a service-based YouTube upload into where it's more, you can't throw ads in all the time in a workout. So we miss out on a lot of monetization opportunities there, whereas someone like a blogger or a vlogger could put them in every five minutes and you're like, oh, I wonder what they're gonna say next. If you saw like a ego commercial pop up before your workouts, a lot of people are just gonna be done with the workout. So we, we decided early on that we want the experience to be better than just like add, 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 add. And I think YouTube is unfortunately changing things right now where we're losing control of that. So that's something we're trying to navigate but it was definitely not until a couple years in where I felt like, all right, this was a worthy decision. You mentioned all the head trash that comes in to people. Mm -hmm. You can be standing at the gas pump or at the ATM machine or at the grocery checkout and material is constantly being pumped at you. You're a passive yeah. observer. Um, what you were also a content creator in addition to being a professional athlete. Mm -hmm. So you're an expert, you have your 10,000 hours, and you're getting your 10,000 hours rapidly on producing content. Um, what do you consume and what do you limit sharply? Like, what do you consume in terms of content and what do you draw a hard no into not consuming? I don't consume as much as I try to create. And I think that's helped me stay in a place where I'm not always trying to please and, and do what everyone else is doing or compare myself to what everyone else is doing. I listen to podcasts a lot, uh, try to read books around like personal development or business development. Uh, but I still do scroll social every now and then just to keep keep trending ideas in my mind of like, how could I apply this, this sound clip to an exercise tip? Or how could I take this, um, you know, whatever is trending and help people in my own way? So I try to keep my, my hand on what's going on without just passively consuming what everyone's doing. Because I think that can get you to the place also where you start to lose yourself. What social platforms do you find useful and which ones do you not? I, I'm on Instagram the most and Facebook just because our membership community is on Facebook. So those two I found, or I am on the most. Um, TikTok is not necessarily something I find useless, but it's something I need to invest a lot more time in to learn how to help in my way there. I think overall in general, social can be really helpful and it can be really useless and harmful at the same time. And the algorithm is gonna feed you what you engage with too. So understanding like if you're always looking at you know people doing clothing hauls you're always going to see this and you're always going to think should I have these brands of clothing should I have all of this stuff given to me for free I like these influencers like do I need to measure up like this girl or this guy so it's also what you engage in which I think we have to be conscious of you know if, even if you're mean commenting on someone's fitness post you know her she doesn't even look fit you're going to get fed that type of content still so it's it's also understanding like what I engage with I get fed more of and I try to engage with the same thing like personal development and motivational speakers it's a lot more of like the mental around it versus clothing hauls or makeup tutorials or people just talking about their day you have a hero or a mentor in different ways I guess different people I, I just look up to people who have worked really hard and done something not traditional and their mission is to help and whether it be uh, Ed Milet, Tony Robbins, like people, Mel Robbins, people like that that make it their mission to help. I love the way that they show up to serve all the time. Did they ever catch the guys who shot you? One of the four they got on separate charges um, 
so they weren't there was really no justice to it in the legal sense of the word but um, I think my comeback was kind of justice in my mind like not letting them take away what we wanted to do for our mission but no. You went back to work at the same place the next day? Not the next day. I wasn't able to put weight on my foot for like three months. Uh, so it was three to four months before I went back there. But I remember shaking like a leaf when I walked back to that studio. Do you resent these people? No. I think they were probably in a lot worse of a place than I am or than I was even in terms of like mental strength. Um, I don't resent them because that just kind of gives energy to them that I need to help myself or to help other people do better in life. I think it also kind of gave me a relatability in terms of a personal trainer being able to relate to people coming back from an injury. And like I told you, I had never been able to relate in that way because I didn't have any injuries in my career. So it gave me a chance to say, here's me coming back from an injury. And then on the back burner, I knew I'm now understanding what people feel and think when they come back from injuries now, where I, I hadn't been able to relate before that. Would you ever considering doing a class at a prison or a jail for women? Hmm. Never thought about that. I guess if it could help, um, definitely. Or at some place like the Dove's Nest. Yeah, I've done some work with uh, Charlotte Rescue Mission. I, I love did it. Boot yeah. camps to help support funding their new gym. Um, so I think as long as it was safe, I would yeah. do it. Yeah, I have a, an extremely like high safety gauge now that I would, I've gone through. I would that. imagine. Yeah. You know, only. Um, what does your day look like? What's the first thing you do other than? go to the bathroom and feed the kid? <laughs> um, it's different every day. Cause we we kind of have so many things going on. We're trying to, to make sure that we keep all the balls in the air, I guess. So we come here to the studio, kind of regroup. What do we need to do first? We normally film the workout first. So it's get ready. It's get the lights on, get everything set up for that, and um, do all the photos for that, do all the descriptions, all the workout clocks. Um, that's probably like a four-hour process from like getting ready to okay we're done with the filming portion of the workout um, and then they start working on the edit which is another three or four hours um, after that I try to do something in our membership community with the Sydney squad um, making sure I'm eating well making sure I'm showing that on social as well like here's a simple way to eat um, we have manuf or we have uh, merchandise as well so it's talking to Dustin and I, like, what do we want for designs? What's next? What do they need from us? Do they need feedback? Are we waiting on protos? Um, should we move forward with this? Conversations around merchandise. Um, then pick up Ari, try to go and, you know, document, make healthy dinner, show that, show people how to do that, just keep it simple. Uh, and then it's, it's planned for the next day, I guess. Like, try to repeat and make sure there's social content to go up, make sure we have copy for that make sure it's going on all the platforms, um, what's next at the same time, like can we do an app, can we get a YouTube membership, like how do we navigate this in terms of uh, the website build. So it's, it's different every day. Um, I think it's, it's good, but it's also tough. There's, you want some structure, but also I think as an entrepreneur, we just kind of like constantly want the challenge of how do we get better. What does self-care look like for you? Self-care, I think, doesn't have to be so pampery, <laughs> like getting your nails done, going to a spa. I think it's, for me, a little bit of alone time because I'm such an extrovert in the professional sense of the word. Um, I'm always kind of like, not necessarily performing, but just being of service to people. And I have to kind of take that advice for myself too, like caring for yourself isn't just going 100 miles an hour until you crash. It's if somebody cuts you off in traffic or is super rude to you, do you ever just lose your shit? Can you? Can you lose your shit at I mean, somebody? Yeah. In the car, in my own little silent bubble, I sometimes will, but... But you can't scream at the waitress. I can't scream at... <laughs> no. Waitresses 
I was a waitress too, so I would never scream at them. So you cut them a lot of slack. I cut them a lot of slack because a lot of times it's not their fault. And sometimes they're just having a rough day. But um, yeah, I do. I have a lot of impatience for just negativity. I think it just gets exhausting with, and knowing like you get it now, I'm sure I'm raising a kid into this world. So why is, are there so many people who are just mad all the time? I, I have a lot of impatience for that. And I never really like lash out or anything. It's just, it's so puzzling to me. I'll tell you, I went out, actually it was to Community Matters. Mm -hmm. It was in about April yeah. or May. And you remember how beautiful the spring was? We had the yeah. cool temperatures yeah. at long. Then I went out to lunch with a guy and he said, I said, this is such a glorious day. And he said, we're gonna pay for it this summer. <laughs> It's going to be blistering. And I'm like, man, why you got to shit on my day? It's, yeah. it's so beautiful. Yeah. So when somebody says something, like you try to say something nice, and they just like, yeah, well, I, I hit the Powerball. I'm going to get $300 million, but tax man's going to take a third of that. What did they ever do? Yeah. I'm just going to get a lousy 200 mil. Yeah. I mean, I do have those times, too. I, I get pissed about negative people and like I was telling you that's how my whole pregnancy was so just understanding women I'm like why are we just always so annoyed with it? and I think sometimes we see people that we want to have what they're wearing or what they're doing or their happiness or their relationship or whatever and it just internally flips a switch and they get negative and it comes out and I get exhausted by that I get so I don't know I come from like a a very small town so there's a lot of like outside of the tradition it's almost like everything else is dumb and even my career was like called chasing a pipe dream or like not being ready to let go of your athletic career and I just I can't I don't have a tolerance for it like I'll, I'll just remove myself from the situation like oh well taxes I'm like yeah, but I mean, imagine the things I could do with four hundred thousand dollars or whatever the you're you know netting from winning the lottery. It's just million. Million, yeah. I mean, even million. more, <laughs> even more. But I I just try to flip the convo because I I can't take on that energy as it brings me down. I think I'm like a very empathetic person. So if you were to sit here and tell me like all the things are wrong with your world and why I should be annoyed and why I should be tired and fed up and I I will leave our conversation drained like my mentality goes oh my god how do I come back from that like that is so terrible that's so sad and I I, I can't think I take it. on energy I'll, I just I'll, I'll I just can't. I'll just can't handle the victim no I can't and it's I experience that a lot and in some ways it's I hear that story with but you helped me come out of it so I like that conversation but I like it when there's a hope to it not just like life sucks. Here's why everything sucks. I hate everyone. I well, that's a, beyond a defeatist. It's yeah. it's toxins. It's it toxic. Is. Yeah, or just like people telling you what you're always not doing well enough for them. Uh, and I asked like being on YouTube. I'm giving a workout out for free. So there's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of people doing the workouts. There's a lot of different people coming from different places. And I, I. It's definitely not fair to say that you know people ask for this when they're on social media. Like most people are just trying to help people make a living. You know, I guess people come from different places with all of that, but people don't ask for negativity if they're on social media. And that's I think that's what haunts me the most is like, well, she asked for it. She's on social media. I give my opinion. I mean, sometimes I just want to help people, and I I know I can't be perfect for everyone, but. I'm trying my hardest and there's no, like not a sense of entitlement to me whatsoever. Like I don't feel like I deserve anything. I'm gonna work hard for everything. So it's hard to relate to people that just automatically are like, you didn't do this right, you know? So what, to what extent do you read the comments mm -hmm. or are there some days where you go, turn the comments off that's it no more we're yeah. not gonna we're not gonna take any more comments from anybody <laughs> other than who's in the squad yeah. <laughs> I do have those days where I I will read comments because there there is some validity to some constructive feedback and for instance in the beginning of our YouTube channel 
I would try different workout formats. And one of the workout formats I tried just didn't translate well to everyone. Like I would do 15 reps of a squat, take me 30 seconds, it would take someone else 10, take someone else 35. So it didn't make sense for me to do like the rep-based format. That feedback helped me move forward from there, not continuing to just like mess up people's workouts. So that helps when it's, it's just like people complaining about what you don't do well enough or you don't do, they wanted this today. There are some days where I have to just like not read anything because it's, you get to the point where you start saying, what's, why am I doing all this then? Like, what's the point? I'm trying so hard to help and in all these people's eyes, it's not helping them. Like, what's the point of doing all of this? So, and there's a trillion comments that are grateful and there's one that's negative and you're like, why, why do I let this one negative comment just take over my mind? But we all do. And yeah. it's, it's frustrating, but I do have to gauge like a, a pretty good gauge of like where my mindset is going. And if I read a couple and they're like, this workout sucks. I'm like, I got to get off for a minute. Like I got to figure out how I can do better or go do something that would serve someone or just take a minute for myself. Now in your quiet time, mm. in the time in which you recharge, um, what do you do? Some people just sit on the deck and look at birds or look at the leaves on the trees. Some people pet a dog. Mm -hmm. Some people have a cup of tea. I like to get outside for sure, uh, but I love music a lot. Like I think music can just instantly switch your mood and something that's, you know, a nostalgic album or something that's just upbeat. It's a little dancey. It makes you move your body. Like I like What's music. your jam? What's guaranteed to uh, depends on the mood. I like like 2000s era rap. Um, I think it just takes me back to my college years of like what my teammates and I used to listen to. Um, just depends on the day. You want to give a shout out to any particular <laughs> artist or? I'm a big Drake fan. I think All a lot right, of people like Drake, Post Malone. Yeah. Um, those are my frequents. The Weeknd. Yeah. Yeah. Brianna, Beyonce, I got to see her this year. She was epic. That's wonderful. Yeah. Do you do any kind of motivational speaking or? I do um, post-workout talks every day. I'm trying to make sure I keep the motivation up and that's, that's just genuine. That's not something I script out. It's just like what I've seen in the comments or what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking, what I think might help someone. Uh, I've done a TED talk before. I. I do want to get into that though. I feel like that's something. What was that the comes. TED talk on? Uh, it was resilience, overcoming tragedy, and how to move forward from that. And talking about my brother and the shooting, and you know, risking everything to come to Charlotte and try this fitness thing out. Uh, so it was about the mentality around overcoming things and resilience. But I've done a couple speaking engagements. I also talk to, which I don't broadcast it a lot, but I talk to schools a lot. Um, students, entrepreneur classes, social media classes, um, universities will just reach out and ask Dustin and I to tell our story, what did we learn. Um, so there are a lot of things that I do that I don't necessarily put on social, that I just kind of do in service more so just to help. Is there a book or a person talking that you've heard of that you found particularly useful, that it was a game changer, that it changed your mindset? Uh, I think it's different things every day, but I like Ed Milet a lot. I think he has really great interview styles. I think he thinks about life in a way that I really admire. Well, you mean the world to my wife and my daughter, yeah. and that's really why I'm here. I just admire the hell out of you. I, Thank I, you. I really admire what you've done, what you've been able to do. Um, I see you as a tremendous success right now. Thank you. Yeah. That means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Well, Thanks for letting me be a part of your family, whether uh, you're, sure. you're in on the workouts or not. <laughs> if you and I got struck by lightning today and the only thing that survived was this little audio, what is your legacy now? My legacy is hopefully the mentality of resilience and not giving up. I think when I lost my brother, Long story short, I ended up at a CrossFit gym near where he was. They gave me a t-shirt. The CrossFit gym was called CrossFit Never Give Up. They gave me a t-shirt to give to him in his recovery. He passed the next day. So I feel like that was his message 
to me. And I just try to portray that in the way that I talk to people and the way that I show up. And like we talked about body image and we talked about overcoming tragedy. I hope leaving this conversation, anyone that's listening can just remember to not give up and, and remember they're more resilient than they realize. You still have the t-shirt? Yeah, I do. Blue Where t-shirt, red writing. It? It's in my drawer at home. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's special. Yeah. Sydney, thank you. I really appreciate this. I'm very grateful to have been able to meet you. Absolutely. Thank you for coming here. It was nice to meet you and talk. It was a great interview. Thanks. Good combo. Well, after 200 plus podcasts in 201 weeks, uh, 201 different podcasts, here's one that my, my family will really enjoy, especially my wife and youngest daughter. So for Lorraine and Colleen, thank you, Sydney. You can find Sydney Cummings Howdy Shell on YouTube, and we'll put the links in the show notes. So thanks for listening. In Her Words is a production of the Queen City Podcast Network in cooperation with Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative, Rachel Clapp Miller and Roshonda Pratt are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Katherine Smith. That's me. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women. A huge shout out and thank you to everyone who has supported manlistening.com, in her words, the podcast, and now Voice Locket, doing another interview in Nashville just a couple of weeks. Voicelocket.com. Take a look. Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much. <laughs>